Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and uh, some of you I had to steal pictures off your Facebook page for that, just so you know, but that's kind of the way it works sometimes. Anyway, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. We are glad to have you here today, and moms, we do want to especially honor you today. And I know, let me just go ahead and say that Mother's Day is a great day of joy for a lot of people, but it's also a hard day. Um, so if you have desired to be a mom and can't be a mom, we want you to know that you are loved and you are uh, rejoiced over because you you matter and we hear you and we love you. If you are uh, if you've lost your mother like I have, we want you to know that you're loved, you're accepted, you have a place here of people who love you and care about you and can be a generational support to you and your family. Uh, there's so many different things that people go through on a Mother's Day, and yet my hope is that today, and I have to say this very plainly, I've never been a mother, so <laughs> don't know what it's like. But that being said, I am a father who fails. I'm a father who struggles and a father who doesn't get it right a lot of the time. And my only hope, my only sufficiency is found in Christ. My only hope for being able to have lasting Eternal fruit in my kids' lives is, is not how well I do as a father, but it's how faithful my Jesus is. And so the songs that we sang today really are all about that, that parents, moms, you need to know you can run to Jesus. It's not just about taking your kids to Jesus. It's you run to Jesus, and he will be there for you. To, to know that you can look at Jesus, and the rest of the world will begin to make sense, and we want you to have that hope today. So today what we wanted to do is, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, Continuing on in this theme of the generosity project, last week we dealt with the fact that every one of us has this inward curve, naturally inward curve in our lives, where every good gift that God gives us, we tend to misuse for our own desires. That everything that God gives us, we tend to think is about us, right? I mean, and so because of that kind of natural self-centeredness and inward curve of the heart, we have a problem. We have a problem. There's, a, there's no natural way we are just going to be overtly generous and be like Jesus in that way. We need to be changed. And so God doesn't only diagnose the problem in us. He also gives us the solution in himself. And so today, at the, as we think about moms and as we think about Jesus and these two things come together in our world, they shouldn't be thought of really separately. You can't be a real eternally minded mom without Jesus. And Jesus utilizes moms in a way that he doesn't utilize anyone else. So on this Mother's Day, at the heart of being a mother, I want you to think that the heart of being a mother should reflect the heart of God. It's a generosity of being used by God. And moms uniquely birth children, raise and nurture your children. Men and women are designed by God differently and uniquely to reflect his glory. So men and women, they show the glory of God in ways that nothing else in all creation shows the glory of God. We show the generosity of God and the grace of God. We show the glory of God in a way that nothing else can. But we also have very different ways of doing that. God has designed us differently. And moms have a unique way of doing that to reflect the generosity and nature of God. We're going to return to this later on in the sermon. But for now, Moms, just hear me on this. Continue to show us more of Jesus. That as you run to Jesus, show us Jesus. 
Point us to Jesus for our salvation. Point us to Jesus in our fears and anxieties. Show us what it looks like to, to have fear and have anxiety and run to Jesus. Show us. Show us how good Jesus is. Show us Jesus in your mercy and your generosity. Show us Jesus in your humility and your sacrifice. And we thank you for the way you've done that. And, and while this is Mother's Day, this is a message uh, here in this passage is a message for all of us, even though there is a specific way we can exhort mothers and encourage mothers and apply this to the life of a mother. The apostle Paul has an exhortation for all of us, and it's all rooted in the generous grace of Jesus. So Philippians chapter two, we're going to look at verses one through 11. Let's start with verses one through four. See the exhortation from Paul here for all of us as believers. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I find it fascinating that here Paul says that his joy is made complete by the mindset in other people that leads them to be generous. And I, I think of parenting in this way, right? My joy as a parent is made complete when my kids become what I know God has designed them to be, right? That's when my joy is complete. My joy isn't complete with every A that they make in school. My joy isn't made complete with every success that they have in sports. My joy isn't made complete with every drawing they draw that's beautiful, every picture that they take is beautiful, with everything they design, with every... Harry Styles video they watch, I don't know, whatever it may be. Like my joy isn't made complete by those things. My my joy is made complete as they become what God has designed them to be. My joy is wrapped up in their development and in their growth. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying his joy is made complete when the church at Philippi takes on this life of generosity that looks like Jesus. When when he sees other believers living this out, his joy becomes full. I mean, just think about the the generosity in that statement and the grace in that statement. His joy is wrapped up not in his own growth, but in the growth of other people. This is the essence of what it looks like to be in the body of Christ together is we we're all wrapped up in this together. And my joy is connected to your growth. But, But look at how this generosity starts. He doesn't say, hey, you need to be more generous. Hey, start sacrificing. Hey, guys, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to start thinking of other people as better than yourself. He doesn't start there. Instead, he starts with a mindset. He starts with the way we think, with a unity of mind, a unity of love, a a unity of this movement and passion and purpose in life. Do do you see it there in verse two? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, life, life from beginning to end, from work to politics to parenting is made up of decisions about priorities and values. We make decisions based on priorities and values. And what's most important in our lives is how we make decisions. And there's no, the Bible gives us good blueprints of what should be valuable. But a lot of times we come into these situations in parenting and we go to the Bible and we're like, it does not tell me what to do when my kid won't clean his room. Right? I mean, this this is the reality of what we're walking through. What's most valuable in the moment? What's most valuable when I've got to decide between sports and church, between sports and family, between church and family? What, what do I do? 
And so there's this reality that we're walking through that all kinds of things are vying for our time and attention and money and focus and love. And Paul's argument here is that it doesn't start with, hey, here's a checklist of walking through in order to be faithful. He says it starts with having a mindset, a seeking of the kingdom wholeheartedly and wholemindedly, that the kingdom of God becomes the one thing we're looking at. Paul's argument is here that the life of looking like Jesus doesn't start with action. It starts with the mind. A unity of mind, love, and purpose will lead to generosity. So this is the sort of one-mindedness that focuses on Jesus and his kingdom. It's a, it's a one love that's undivided in its affections for Jesus. It's a type of unity and purpose that actually advances the gospel kingdom, not advancing our own kingdom. It leads to behavior that helps us demonstrate that we belong to Jesus. It shows itself in behavior, but it starts with a mindset. And the behavior that comes out of it that he says is a humble generosity. Look at, look at how he puts it. He says, count others more important than yourself, more significant than yourself. That you begin to think of other people and their needs as more significant than your own needs. Counting somebody more important than yourself means this at its simplest form. They don't have to prove themselves. Just stop and let that sink in for just a little bit. Counting someone, that, that's your action toward them. You count them. You place value on them. They're not proving their value and their worth. Is everybody with me on this? This is what he's telling us to do. You count others more important than yourself. You place value on them. This is, the, this is the biblical model. God counted Abraham as righteous, not because he was righteous and faithful. I mean, Abraham failed every other chapter in the book of Genesis. Okay, you have one good chapter, the next chapter he's a doofus, right? This is what we're walking through all the time. So it wasn't his own faithfulness and his own righteousness. It was God counting him as righteous because he had faith. God counted him as righteous, and we're called to count others as more important than ourselves. That same word. We're counted righteous by faith in Jesus and his righteousness, not based on ourselves and our own value and our own work. We count others more important than ourselves, even if they don't, quote, unquote, deserve it. That's the model. And he leaves this nonspecific. He doesn't say, and let me tell you, here's three ways you can do that this Tuesday. <laughs> Even though that would be really nice sometimes, right? No, because it's not first about the behavior. It's about a lifestyle and a mindset. He says, count others more significant than yourselves. He doesn't give us a list of generous acts. No, it's a lifestyle based on a purpose and mindset. I'm going to look like Jesus and I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to think like Jesus and I'm going to act like Jesus. And it's a humble generosity, but it's also an others-serving Generosity. He says, look not just to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So that's the question we have to start asking ourselves of how are my actions affecting other people? Isn't this the basis, moms, the basis of all parenting with your kids? Do you not know that your actions have repercussions for other people? This is the growth process for every kid who thinks that what they do only affects them, and then they have to learn that it affects their sister, and then they have to learn that it affects the parents, and then they have to learn that it affects other people. How are we maturing in such a way that we're demonstrating that what I do affects other people, and how is it affecting them? How is what I give, how is what I keep 
benefiting other people? This is the question Paul is posing. This is the statement Paul is making, is that we should serve others with generosity, seeking their good, not just our own. And and when this kingdom mindset, this is a mindset that comes into play. When that kingdom mindset and purpose of loving the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength takes root in us, guess what happens? We fulfill the whole law. Jesus was asked, what is the, what's the most important law? What's the first commandment? And the commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That sounds a lot like this unity of purpose and this unity of love and this unity of mind. To have that one thing among you as the people of God. And when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, guess what happens? We start counting other people more important than ourselves. We start loving our neighbor as ourselves. We look to the interest of others, not just our own interests. So this is the mindset that Paul is calling us to. And it's the, the mindset that finds its root in Jesus. So that really begs the question, how do we do this? Like, if I'm not going to get a checklist, at least tell me how to get started, Paul, right? Like, I want to know. And so he gives us the mindset. And he says, but the inclination and the drive to actually be generous in this way, to actually walk into humble generosity and others serving generosity, he shows us back in verse 1. Look back at verse 1. He says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. See, he doesn't go right into complete my joy by being of the same mind. He says, if, he gives a conditional statement there, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. See, what he's telling us is generosity flows from God's generosity shown to us in Christ. Our generosity towards others, our others serving, our humble generosity comes from the fact that we have been shown great generosity from God in Christ. And he, these are the terms he uses. He says, encouragement in Christ. What could be more encouraging to us than our relationship with Christ, who shows us grace, who shows us mercy, who's willing to call us his friends, who never leaves us or forsakes us? He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if you know that Jesus is never going to forsake you and leave you, if you know that he calls you friend, if you know that he is showing you compassion and love, if you know that he is drawing near to you, if you know that, if you find encouragement in that, then complete my joy of being in the same mind and start serving other people. He goes on, he says, there's any comfort from love, any comfort from Christ's love, that type of love that lays down its life for his friends, the type of love that, and while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, the compelling, sacrificing, eternal love. You realize that faith, hope, and love, Paul says, these three and the greatest of these is love. Why is it greatest? Because it's the only one that has to stick around in the end. When you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, faith's not there. You don't need it. You have sight, hope. We have glory. We don't need the hope of glory. What's left? We're held in love. That love that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That love that in love he worked and predestined and did all of the work of salvation for us. From beginning to end. And then at the end, when we're in heaven, what's he holding us in? Love. This is what he's doing. And that type of 
love, that comfort that comes from knowing that we're going to be eternally held in Christ's love is the type of comfort you can have right now. And if you have that comfort, that security in Christ's love, how could you not be generous? He goes on and he says, any participation in the spirit. We get Christ's spirit when we are united to Christ through faith, by his grace through faith. And he gives us his spirit. It demonstrates to us that when we have the spirit, when he comes to live in us, it's all demonstrated in this way. We've died to our sin. We're alive to him. We have this new life. We have his spirit dwelling in us to to equip us, to enable us, to connect us and unite us to Christ himself. Uh, The Apostle Paul will go on to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me because I've been crucified with Christ. I I have a participation in Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We have new life in Christ. We're going to we're seated with him in the heavenlies. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, all because we're united to him in the spirit. And what does that do? He says, if there's any affection and sympathy, all of a sudden, when we have the spirit, we have his affection. When we have the spirit, we have his sympathy. We have a great high priest who suffered as we did, who was tempted as we did and never sinned. This generosity produces affection and sympathy because we have a savior who loves us, who wept over us, who sympathizes with us. Because God is so generous towards us in Christ, those of us who belong to Jesus by grace through faith now have the power to be radically generous towards others. That doesn't come from inside of us. You can't muster up more generosity. That generosity comes from the generosity of being united to Christ. So he's saying, here's the mindset I want you to have. Seek the kingdom, love the Lord your God, be united in that mindset. Here's the drive. When you're united to Christ, you get his spirit and his spirit drives you and enables you. You have the ability now and all of the comfort that comes from his love and encouragement in his spirit now drives you into this generosity. But the next question is, okay, how do I start? How do I start? How how do I change my mindset? How do we do this generous life? Since we aren't capable of gospel generosity without being united to Christ, how do I get started? And that's where verse 5 comes in. He tells us where we get this mindset from. We can't just come up with it. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The only place you can get the mind of generosity and the mind of Christ is from Christ. You can't get it anywhere else. You can only get the mind of Christ from Christ. Paul's answer is, you want this mindset? You get it when you're united to Christ Jesus. We get the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we have the Spirit of God, and when we have the Spirit of God, we're given a new mind, the mind of Christ. We're united to his way of thinking, his way of seeing the world. We're united to his purposes, to his desires. He says in Romans chapter 12 that we need to be transformed by the renewal, the making new of our minds. And this mindset renewal comes from understanding the sacrifice of Jesus and belonging to him, that we trust him and we belong to him. So his answer to the question of what has God provided so that I can have this mindset? His answer is himself. He provided himself. He didn't give you anything less than himself. You need the mind of Christ. He gives you Christ. 
This is the way his generosity works. And look at verse 6, what that then begins to look like in our lives. When we're given Christ and we have his mindset, this is what Christ did for us so that we could now be transformed and changed. Verse 6, who, that's Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, generosity is possible because we are one with Jesus. We get the mindset by being one one with Jesus. And now generosity is possible because Jesus is generous. And we're one with him. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. Just just notice it here. We've been given his mindset is our mindset. We have the mind of Christ from verse 5, and this is the mindset and what it looks like. We've been given his mindset as our mindset. It's a mindset of humility, right? It's a humility, the mindset that lays aside our rights for the good of others. He was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't count that as something. He had his rights, but he wasn't going to flaunt his rights. He had his rights, but he didn't hold so tightly to his rights that he couldn't serve others. He didn't flaunt his power in order to be served, but he came and served and gave his life as a ransom for many. How easy is it to flaunt our power and our security to suit ourselves as opposed to serve others? others. No, he was humble enough to lift the head of those who would be his children. He served others through self-sacrifice. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took on the burdens and the needs of others. And the calling for us now is because we have that mindset in crisis to take on the burdens and the needs of others. And yes, it's going to hurt us sometimes. I hear a lot about boundaries that people need to have in their lives, and I totally agree with boundaries in your life. I haven't figured out how to do it, but I totally agree with boundaries in life. As long as those boundaries don't drive you internally and inward, but they drive you to serve. I think probably the more dangerous thing is that we put too many boundaries around our hearts and never give ourselves to others, but protect ourselves and think it's our job to protect ourselves. Can't Jesus do a better job of protecting you than you ever could? And so he, he demonstrates to us what it looks like to serve and take on the heart of a servant and take on the actions of a servant. Aren't you just glad Jesus did that? That when we didn't deserve it, he, he gave up his heavenly throne to take on a cross for us. That he took on the form of a servant instead of a king so that you and I could become sons and daughters of the king. <laughs> this is what he did for us. And look at verse 8. It says, he's died for us. And, and so if we have this mindset and we are in Christ Jesus, we also have died to ourselves as he died for us. And he did it with humility. He did it with humility. Verse 8 says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He gave himself over to sinful men. He allowed himself to be mocked. And he obediently followed the will of the Father all the way to the cross. All the way to death. A death of curse and despising. And and so it says there in verse 8, it wasn't just death. It was even death on a cross. He served others through sacrifice. And he did this in our place. 
It was the death we deserved, the death we owed, the wages of our sin he took upon himself. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we could have his righteousness. So that we could not be under the curse, but we could have his righteousness. And I think it's here. I think it's here that in the application I begin to think about mothers first and foremost. I think it's here that God's generosity and motherhood is shown most clearly. See, remember all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They listened to the serpent instead of listening to God. They sinned against God in the garden. And God pronounced a curse over creation. There's all kinds of things. Everything from the serpent is going to be on his belly, right? To the fact that man and woman will both have different ways they will suffer because creation is cursed. Man going out into the field working will now toil the sweat and the blood. The, the world is going to fight back now instead of everything just sprouting up. You get Powhatan clay. Right. I mean, this is this is the way it works. Right. The, 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 every time you dig into the Powhatan clay, go, this is Adam's fault. <laughs> and ladies, every time you have a child, this is Eve's fault. Yep. That the curse of God upon creation through womanhood is what? Pain and childbearing. Now. This is the reality that we come to is God uniquely demonstrates not only the punishment and the discipline of sin among men and women, but he also demonstrates his provision and his redemption uniquely between men and women. Because there's going to be a day in heaven where we're going to return to that garden and that garden is going to just sprout up fruit and it's not going to be fighting back anymore. Right? There's a, there's a day when Jesus is walking around and he starts making food out of nothing. He starts multiplying food for people and they're not having to work for it. There's a day where Jesus promises that if you drink of the well that I offer, right, you're not going to thirst again. There's a reversal of that curse. There's that redemption. And for women, the curse of pain and childbearing begins to get reversed every time you have a child. Because you're a part of God's story of redemption. God demonstrates through women a unique and special purpose to reflect his character and his glory. The the generous giver of life, God, uses women as his vessels to demonstrate his life-giving sacrifice and love. Only women have the calling and gift from God of demonstrating his generating love. This life-giving love. I can't do that. Only women can do that. And when we get rid of that sort of distinction, we're not just getting rid of God's design in creation. We're getting rid of God's design in redemption. It's not just dangerous when it comes to God's created order. It's dangerous when it comes to God has given us a picture in childbirth of what he is doing. To redeem mankind. Don't forget that little Mary went through the pain of the curse of pain and childbirth in order to birth Jesus, who would die in her place, taking on the curse of sin and shame. We do away with the redemptive factor as well. And so I want you to see this. The unique gift that was damaged at the fall, this childbearing is damaged there and now there is pain in childbirth is also 
The kind of generosity now that God is using to show us that mothers must embrace the curse in order to reverse the curse. They must sacrifice and embrace the pain in order to produce life. In order to make redemption possible, mothers must undergo the effects of the curse. Motherhood is a constant reminder of the redemption found in Christ Jesus. Tyler Holly put it it this way. Mothers embrace the curse so that we may be born, and Christ embraced the curse so that we may be reborn. And the giving doesn't stop there, does it? The generosity doesn't stop there. From nurturing and loving and forgiving, trusting God for us when we don't trust God. Mothers truly reflect the character of God. Even women who don't have children do this within the church, caring for generations coming up behind them, taking on the burdens of others, loving and nurturing the children in the church. There are moms of all types, and I would just challenge you, keep showing us the generosity of Jesus so that we know how generous our God is. Thank you for taking on and walking through that curse so that we can know that Jesus died in our place to take the curse away. True generosity, you see, is not based on the worthiness of the receiver because I will never be worthy of my mom loving me. Believe me. But didn't our Jesus love us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins? True generosity is not based on the worthiness of the receiver. It's based on the willing sacrifice of the giver. So as I close here in just a minute, I want you to understand this. The call here is not just since Jesus was humble, be humble. Since Jesus sacrificed, go sacrifice. Since Jesus served, go serve. Since Jesus was generous, go be generous. Rah, rah, let's go. Go be like Jesus. That's not the call. You'll fail. You'll get burned out. You won't be able to do it. Moms, anybody in the room? Just you're, Yeah, that sounds great for like the first year, week, whatever. Right? The fact is you will get to the end of yourself, and it's at the end of yourself that you find real life. Now, the call today is to be united to Christ and his life, to be united to him in faith. He's offered himself generously, and he doesn't just offer you eternal life. He offers you life right now. He offers you his spirit to enable you, to equip you. So trust him. Look look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. It's not just we walk through the suffering. We've also been given a hope of glory as Jesus is glorified. We've also been given a hope of glory as Jesus is glorified. Why, Why would he go to the cross? Why would he suffer? Was that out of love? Yes. Was that out of obedience? Sure. So the unity of purpose with the Father? Absolutely, if you want to get super theological. But it was also for the joy set before him. It was for a purpose of the joy that was coming. Now look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Savior was humiliated and it led to his exaltation. And I will tell you, the more you seek to be exalted, the more you will end up being humiliated. So today, this is about trusting the one who took our place. 
That generous life is found only in being united to Jesus by his generous life, his generous death, and his generous resurrection. And as a church, if individually you're doing that, as a church, the generous life, we're called to the the type of life that would complete the joy of Paul, comes from being found as people who all unite in heart, mind, and action for the kingdom of God and for others. That we stop being about ourselves. That we stop thinking as the world thinks, living as the world lives, valuing what the world values, and we start living for the kingdom, seeking first the kingdom, and trusting God for everything else. That's what it looks like for the people of God to lay aside our selfishness. People who realize that many have gone before us in this sort of generosity. Some of them are our own mothers have gone before us in this sort of generosity of giving of self, have fought the fight with us, have paid the price with us, and they're cheering us on to continue the life of faith that leads to generosity. So let us run with endurance because Jesus endured for us. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you, if you would as we prepare to sing. We're going to read together from Hebrews chapter 12. Because if I can give... A mom today who is seeing great success in parenting something, I want to say keep running with endurance the race that's set before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus. If today you're a mom who says, I'm failing at every turn, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're here today and you want to be a mom and it's just God has not blessed you in that way, run with endurance the race that you've been given. It's not somebody else's race that you're supposed to be running. Run with endurance the race that you've been given. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Because he's not just the one who gives you faith. He's also the goal of your faith. Let him be enough for you. And that's my prayer. So let's read together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I pray that today we would fix our eyes firmly on Jesus, trust him and walk in that trust, united to Christ now by his spirit, so that we can have true life.